I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 17, as we continue our sermon series through the book of Proverbs together. Proverbs, chapter 17. Today we're going to talk about wisdom for emotions. Two years ago, Ed Stetzer wrote a book called Christians in an Age of Outrage. That topic seems a little bit relevant, doesn't it? (laughs) In the first chapter, he shares a few examples of how the outrage cycle works in our culture. One example that he shares is the story of Joshua Feuerstein, who was at the center of the Starbucks Red Cup controversy in 2015. Some of you may remember that Starbucks released their holiday cups, which were solid red. And in November of 2015, aware of these solid red cups from Starbucks, Feuerstein posted a Facebook message that declared, Starbucks, and this is in all caps, removed Christmas from their cups because they hate Jesus. End quote. The result was a cycle of outrage that grew louder and louder and louder and louder. It didn't seem to matter too much to people that Starbucks did not pretend to be a Christian organization and never had. It didn't seem to matter too much that in the years leading up to 2015, Starbucks had not, in fact, printed the word Christmas on its cups anyway. They had printed holiday words like joy and peace and things like that, but not Merry Christmas. Never mind that it's probably better to assume that it's the church's job to tell people about Christmas instead of making it Starbucks's job to tell people about Jesus. But in an age of outrage, all it takes is one all-caps post, and heart rates start to rise. And the outrage cycle is off to the races. All that matters is this shocking revelation that Starbucks hates Jesus. Stetzer offers another example from Coachella, which is a major music festival in California. In 2018, a story broke with this as a headline, quote, Coachella co-owner, his latest, Coachella co-owner's latest charitable filing shows deep anti-LGBTQ ties. Deep anti-LGBTQ ties. And There was maybe a little grain of truth in the headline. Coachella is run by AEG Entertainment, which is co-owned by Philip Anschutz, who is an evangelical Christian. But the so-called deep anti-LGBTQ charitable giving that the headline alleged was simply his giving to well-known Christian ministries like the Navigators and the Center for Urban Renewal and Education, and Young Life Ministries, and his local evangelical Presbyterian church that he participated in. Ministries which were not built on an anti-LGBTQ platform per se. They were built simply to proclaim and minister to others in the name of Jesus. And organizations which agreed 
with a view of marriage that Christians have taught for centuries. When it comes to clickbait headlines, though, it seems that Americans are not very interested in details. We don't really care to hear the full story. Maybe we don't even really want to know. All it takes is one allegation of what somebody is against. And the outrage cycle is off to the races, right? Of course, this is especially true online. On social media platforms. But it can also happen at home with siblings, right? All it takes is for your brother to break the Lego tower. All it takes is for your sister to borrow a sweatshirt at the wrong time. Mm, I heard some groans there. All of a sudden, we're just like dude perfect rage monster, right? That's my sweatshirt. How dare you? This can be true in a marriage, right? Tone of voice is inflected just a little bit and all of a sudden the romantic atmosphere in the living room is icier than Antarctica. This can be true in a workplace. This can be true in a small group at church. This can be true in long-term friendships. This can be true in virtually any environment where we interact with other people. And let me just come out and say it. In an age of outrage, we desperately need some help dealing with our emotions. Because if we simply learn from the culture around us how to deal with our emotions, we're not going to learn to deal with them very well. In our sermon series through the book of Proverbs, we're learning about wisdom, which is the skill of living well in God's world. And today, we're going to pay attention to the skill of living well in God's world, wisdom, specifically for emotions. And we won't say everything that the book of Proverbs has to say about emotions. We won't say everything that the Bible says about emotions. But I want to invite you to look with me at one word of grace here in the book of Proverbs, chapter 17, verse 27, which says, Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. He who has a cool spirit is a person of understanding. Maybe you've heard of this idea of emotional intelligence. It's increasingly popular and important to talk about that in the workplace. The book of Proverbs here in chapter 17, verse 27, gives us kind of a biblical analysis or a biblical picture of what emotional intelligence looks like. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. He who has a cool spirit is a person of understanding. A first mark of biblical emotional intelligence is this. It's restrained Words. 
Not just spewing out whatever we feel as fast as we feel it. But restraint with our words. And in the second line, we discover a second mark of this kind of biblical emotional intelligence, which is a cool spirit. Uh, Most of the Proverbs that we've looked at, this is just kind of a note about how the book of Proverbs works. Most of the Proverbs that we've looked at so far in this series use uh, what we would call antithetical parallelism. It's kind of a technical word that just means line one gives you one idea and line two gives you the opposite idea. A fool is like this. A wise person is like this. Don't do this. Instead, do this. But increasingly through the book of Proverbs, I don't know why it shifts gears from chapter 12 to chapter 30, but for whatever reason, there's kind of this slow shift in the book of Proverbs, and we find more and more of these Proverbs that use a different kind of parallelism. It's not, here's one thing and here's the opposite. It's, here's an idea, and let me take it one step further in the second line. Here's an idea about emotional intelligence. A person who lives with biblical emotional intelligence will be restrained with his or her words. But let me take that a step further, Proverbs 17:27 says, because out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. We're not just aiming to say I'm going to bite my tongue in Christian discipleship. More deeply than that, taking the concept even further, a wise disciple, somebody who is living wisely in God's world, is not only learning restraint with his or her words, but further than that, more deeply than that, the emotionally intelligent person is living with a cool spirit, a cool, quiet, inward disposition of the soul, a cool quiet inward disposition of the heart, a cool, quiet inner disposition of the mind. This idea of having a cool spirit is the opposite of being hot-headed. It's the opposite of blowing up when we read the all-caps Facebook message. Not just because we're keeping ourselves from typing what we really think, but because somewhere deeper within we're learning this coolness of spirit. That calms us down. It's the opposite of blowing up because your sister borrowed a sweatshirt. It's the opposite of deciding that someone is my enemy simply because they voted for somebody different than I did. I found an illustration of this in my own life uh, this week. Um, On Friday, I had a little bit of, uh, I took my car in for an oil change. And then the people who were doing the oil change at the place told me my car was like dead. You know, like you, do you ever get those messages? I kind of drive my cars into the ground, so that's kind of how it goes, right? And I came back home, and I'm and I'm doing some internet research, reading about the things they were told they told me were wrong with my car. How serious is it? How much is it really going to cost to fix it? Do I have to fix it? I'm reading about these things, and what's going on in my heart as I'm reading about these things? My spirit is not cool. my spirit is anxious my spirit is worried about money remember josh told us last week all you need is food and clothing and maybe shelter i'm like i need food clothing shelter and a car please so i'm worried about this my spirit is not cool and at about this time one of my kids was making some noise nearby doing something 
And maybe that child needed a little bit of parenting. Kids need parenting sometimes, right? And perhaps if I was living in a cool spirit before the Lord, I could have graciously engaged with that child. But instead, I just let words come ripping out of my lips. Would you please stop acting like a baby? And I didn't even realize at first how wrong that was. It took a little time for it to sink in, unfortunately. Katie had to point it out to me. And even after she did, it wasn't really until I came back to this verse here in Proverbs 17, 27, and I start thinking more about this connection between the cool spirit and the restrained words, and I realize I need God's redeeming wisdom to reform some things in my own heart and life. I need to go and I need to apologize to that child and ask for forgiveness. And I need to ask God's Spirit to fill me. And this morning as we're confessing our sins together in worship, that's just on my mind afresh. And I'm just rejoicing to know that forgiveness is real. And something that someone like me really needs. Biblical and biblical emotional intelligence involves restrained words which grow out of a cool spirit. But in order to grasp what God is saying to us here in the book of Proverbs, we might need to slow down and consider some of the ways our culture talks about this issue of emotions so that we can recognize what's the same and what's not quite the same as the way our culture talks about emotions. One way that our culture says we should deal with our emotions is essentially to say that we should fight our emotions. We should suppress them. We should block them, right? There's a saying that we have in English. If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. It's not a biblical proverb. (laughs) It's an English proverb. And if you think about it for a minute, you can see why it's a helpful biblical proverb sometimes. Because there are fools like me who just go and blab their mouths. There are fools like me who need some more self-restraint, right? And so we need this wisdom to say, if you're not going to say something nice, don't say it. But don't we also realize that this Wisdom has its limits. If you can't say anything nice, just don't say anything at all. If all we do is work on biting our tongues, what happens in our hearts? The stuff that was in there that was trying to bubble up into harsh words just sits in there festering, unaddressed, spoiling other things deep within, right? Have you had that experience before? You manage to bite your tongue, but the result is only deeper festering of what was bugging you to begin with. This English American wisdom, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all, it has its limits. And that's one way that our culture can talk about emotions. It's just to say, fight your emotions, suppress them, kill it, bury it. But in response to the limitations of that approach to emotions... 
There's another approach to emotions that has grown up in our culture. This newer approach to emotions says we should just follow our emotions. Instead of fighting them and suppressing them, just follow them and express them. This is like the theme of almost every children's movie, right? Just follow your heart. The Bible's response is, you're already following your heart. That's how you got into this mess to begin with. Or think of the lyrics from Emily Sandy, who's kind of a pop soul diva. She's got a 2019 album, and on that album she has a song called Shine that comes at us with an upbeat sound that makes you want to dance. And in that song, Emily Sandy says, say how you're feeling. Piano. Like you got the whole world behind you. Piano. And you're feeling good. Just break all the rules. She's getting louder. The piano is getting louder. Oh, love who you choose. The piano is playing. You want to dance your feet. Oh, express yourself. It's good for your health. She says, let your heart lift you higher. You listen to the song and you just want to start dancing. You want to go and follow your desires. You want to go and follow your instincts. You want to go and follow your emotions wherever they may lead. Just express yourself. It's good for your health. That's what Emily Sandy says, right? And here's the thing. If your only options are to suppress your emotions or express your emotions... I could understand why a lot of people would choose to just express them. If your only options are to fight against your emotions or to follow your emotions, I could see why some people would think it's a better and happier way of life to just follow your feelings. But then you just speak your mind. And then you just follow your feelings wherever they lead. And what starts to show up around you and behind you as you just follow your feelings? A whole trail of tears. A whole trail of broken relationships that you're going to have to spend the next few weeks trying to mend back together. Maybe a trail of tears that will lead to regrets and heartache decades down the road. More seriously than that, if we just follow our desires and feelings, we will very often find ourselves rebelling against our Maker. Not because emotions are all wrong and all bad. Now remember, in Christian theology, we understand that each and every one of us is created in God's image. And that includes our capacity to love. It includes a capacity to hate evil and injustice and sin and death, just as our Lord hates injustice and evil and sin and death. 
It includes a capacity to weep just like our Lord Jesus Christ when he lived as a perfect human among us, wept in the face of death. It includes a capacity to grieve just as the Spirit of God is grieved by the sins of his people. We are created in God's image, and that includes a capacity for rightly expressing our emotions. But we also believe as Christians, not only that we're made in God's image, but that we're fallen. And through the fall, those emotional capacities that were given to us are very often now directed in the wrong way. And so we can't just trust our hearts as God-given as our emotions may be, we can't just follow our feelings without paying any attention to them. And so I want to suggest to you that God's Word doesn't leave us only with these two options of fighting against our feelings on the one hand or following our feelings on the other hand. I want to suggest to you that God's Word gives us an option for gardening our feelings. If all we do is try to fight our feelings, our lives won't square with the wisdom that God gives us in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 7, which says there is a time to keep silence. There's also a time to speak up. If all we do is follow our feelings, we'll find ourselves running headlong into the kind of foolishness that God warns us about in his word. In Proverbs 29, verse 11, it says a fool gives full vent to his spirit. A whole bunch of people in our culture who believe and who are telling you that's what the happiest people are doing. They just give vent to their spirit. Whatever the heart desires, go for it. God warns us maybe it's not that simple. This may not be the pathway of happiness. This may be the path of the fool to give full vent to your spirit, whereas a a wise person would quietly hold back. So instead of just fighting against our feelings, instead of just following our feelings, God's wisdom, God himself through his word, by his spirit today, is aiming to teach us as disciples of Jesus a kind of wisdom that is different than the kinds of wisdom that the world is pushing on us. A kind of wisdom that is prepared to not just fight or follow emotions, but to garden emotions. What do we do with our feelings of anger? Do we just bury them and let the anger fester? Do we follow them and let them hurt other people? No, we garden those feelings of anger. We bring them to God's word and we seek to let the Lord in his gardening grace remove that which is not healthy and nourish that which is. What do we do with our feelings of anxiety and worry and fear in life? Do we just take a deep breath and hold in all our worries and do nothing? Or do we let our fears and worries and anxieties dictate the way we snap at other people in the living room with us? Or do we bring those worries and fears and anxieties to the Lord and let Him garden by grace, pulling out that which is not healthy and nourishing that which is? What do we do with our feelings of attraction to other people? Do we just bury our attractions, never talk about it, 
You can see how that might move in some unhealthy directions. Do we just follow our attractions? Well, I could see how that would end up in some unhealthy directions. Or do we bring them to the Lord and let Him by grace garden our attractions? Over time, by the work of His Spirit quietly within us, removing that which is not in keeping with His will and His word and His character and nourishing that which is. I want to suggest to you that there is a better way than simply following or fighting against our emotions. And that better way is allowing the Lord Himself by grace to garden our emotions. Let's bring this back to the first line here. or to Let's bring this back to Proverbs chapter 17, verse 27. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a person of understanding. You see how this doesn't fit neatly in any of our cultural categories. This proverb is not exactly telling us to just fight against our desires. It talks about restraining words, not stopping all words. It talks about having a cool spirit, not having no emotions at all. We also see how this doesn't fit simply with the follow your heart and say whatever you feel and do whatever your feelings dictate, right? It's calling for something different. And so the question then is, how do we actually move toward this cool spirit? How do we actually move in that direction by God's grace? And I want to suggest to you that a few habits can help us in moving in the direction of living out of a cool spirit. Living out of a spirit that is gardened by the grace of God. And a couple of those habits are this. First of all, talk to the Lord about your feelings. And secondly, a habit of talking to your feelings about the Lord. You see how those work together? We talked about this a lot last winter when we were working our way through David's Psalms. We call that David's prayer book, right? David's prayer journal. And we were working through these Psalms that David wrote. And we saw over and over these two things knit together in the life of faith. On the one hand, a willingness to be brutally honest before the Lord about all kinds of feelings and about how hard the circumstances really are. And about the doubts and the questions that plague our minds. There is this space in biblical spirituality that we saw over and over in the Psalms. A space to talk to the Lord honestly about our feelings. But no Psalms of lament land there, do they? They don't end simply with pouring our hearts out before the Lord They don't land simply on saying, God, this is how hard things are. There is an openness and a freedom to talk to the Lord about our emotions, but then combined and knit in with that in all of this, in all of David's Psalms, in all the Psalms of lament, there is also this shift to talking back to our feelings about the hope that we have in the Lord. Even when our emotions and our doubts and our circumstances aren't that easy. Go look up Psalm 13 later if you want to see one example of that. But then the question I want to ask is, does that really work? If we are honest in talking with the Lord about our feelings, and if we are 
And if we make a habit of talking back to our feelings about the Lord, will that really help to produce the kind of cool spirit, the kind of wisdom that Proverbs 17, 27 is talking about? And I want to take kind of a challenging example and show you that I think it does work. I want to take a challenging example of the experience of an African-American person wrestling through their grief, their anger, even their rage that they feel when considering the history of how African-Americans have been treated here in the United States. I want to borrow that example from a book that Esau Macaulay published this last year called Reading While Black. African-American biblical interpretation as an exercise in hope is the subtitle of it. And there's a chapter in Reading Well Black when Dr. McCauley, who's a New Testament professor at Wheaton College, there's a chapter that he titles, What Shall We Do With All This Rage? And he opens the chapter talking about personal experiences being called the N-word as a child, personal experiences engaging with unwarranted traffic stops that he worried would cost him his college scholarship when he was in high school. He talks about personal experiences. He also talks about the simple fact that when black people in America start to study and dig into the history of what's happened in America, the result is what he says, very often rage... Or even nihilism. Just who cares? What's the point? But then he takes these experiences and he brings them to God's word. And he suggests a couple of things to do with all this rage. And he talks about how in his own experience as an African American Christian. How he's learned the importance of praying the Psalms with all of their emotions and all of their cries for rescue, with all of their cries for justice, reading the Psalms and praying them himself. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about talking to the Lord about our emotions honestly, right? But then he goes on in that chapter a step further than just praying the Psalms and owning them ourselves. And he goes on a step further and he demonstrates how he puts into practice what we would call here this idea of talking to our, our feelings about the Lord. Listen to this quote from his chapter. He says, The Christian tradition says that the innocent one suffered for us individually and corporately to bring us to God. The profound act of mercy gives us the theological resources to forgive. We forgive because we know we have been forgiven. And he says, as an African American Christian, it is only by looking at our enemies through the lens of the cross that we can begin to imagine the forgiveness that is necessary for community. What do black Christians do with the rage that we rightly feel? We send it to the cross, Dr. McCauley says. 
But he doesn't even end there. And yet, he goes on, Christianity does teach that all will have to give an account for their actions. The final judgment is a source of terrifying comfort. Because God will judge wickedness. The sins that have been committed against us matter. This is both terrifying. I find it difficult to long for such an outcome, even for my enemies, he says. And comforting. Because sin is judged rightly. Many years into my Christian life, I still feel the anger, Dr. McCauley says. But the cross and the reality of God's power have changed me. I want others to repent and find healing. I want him or her to be, as, to be free as well. My rage then, Dr. McCauley says, has gained hints of sympathy that linger in the back of even my most heated moments. So I want to ask you, does it work? This idea that we're suggesting that we can learn to walk with the Lord, we can learn in the course of following Him, we can learn a kind of wisdom by talking to the Lord honestly about our emotions and talking to our emotions in, in light of who the Lord is and what He's done, does it work? I think Dr. McCauley's example shows us in a very challenging situation. It shows us that knowing the Lord, walking with Him by grace, talking with Him honestly, and talking to ourselves honestly about Him, it does lead us into this kind of wisdom. This kind of cool spirit that leads us to live a changed and different life. How about for you? Let's just think of situations at home. There's anybody else here in this room who has snapped at other people when your own spirit was consumed with fears or anxieties. How can we cultivate a habit of talking to the Lord about our feelings before we just snap at others around us? And how might that begin to make some kind of difference? And how can we cultivate habits of not just talking to the Lord about our feelings, but when we're feeling those feelings, talking back to our feelings, the truth about the Lord's? How about in our workplace? If some of us are prone from time to time to lose our cool in the workplace and maybe end up snapping at others. How can we learn biblical wisdom by talking to the Lord in an ongoing way? about the feelings we honestly have inside, instead of just burying them or just following them, what if we talk to the Lord about those feelings and then talk back to those feelings about the Lord and bring the gospel to bear on those feelings deep inside? What if we are people who are talking to the Lord and then preaching the gospel to our own hearts? How would that change the way we interact with others in our neighborhood? How would that change the way we interact with others in that outrage machine known as Facebook? 
If we're getting on Facebook already having talked to the Lord about our feelings and not feeling some need to just dump them on everybody else. If we're logging on to Facebook already preaching the gospel to our souls so we don't need to get rebuked by a friend in our small group for what we posted in a moment of anger. How might this affect us? A few habits that I think help us cultivating this cool spirit are talking to the Lord about our feelings and also talking to our feelings about the Lord. Preaching the truth to ourselves. Speaking the truth to our feelings instead of viewing them as infallible. But I want to suggest a third habit as well. A third habit that I think will help us cultivate this kind of emotional wisdom that Proverbs 17.27 is talking about And it may feel like a leap or it may feel like I'm just saying this because that's where we're going next in our service. But bear with me for a second. A third habit I want to suggest is a regular habit of taking the Lord's Supper along with God's people. You know, sometimes when we're kind of, uh, sometimes when we haven't eaten in a while, what happens? We get kind of hangry. Get kind of cranky. Get kind of moody get kind of snappy. Sometimes the emotions get a little bit sharper. We haven't had something to eat, right? And so we've all had that experience, especially if you're a parent, you've had this experience of trying to help your kids. All of us have had experiences as human beings with bodies where we just say, you know what, let's just get a little snack and then we'll talk about it, right? (laughs) Let's just take a little bit of something to eat, right? We are embodied people, it sounds like a not spiritual solution to take something to eat, right? But sometimes, but we're people with bodies. And our emotions are knit in with how our heart beats and how our stomach is processing food. And sometimes in our physical bodies, we need to be wise enough to say, I need just a little bit of nourishment for my stomach to help me kind of process things a little better, right? I want to take a jump from that and say there's something kind of similar that the Lord has set up for us as a church community. It's not that a little cracker is going to keep you from getting hangry, I'm sorry to say. It's not enough to change your blood sugar. But every week as we gather together with God's redeemed people, and we take the cup and we take the bread, it's as if the Lord is extending to us a little bit of a snack. A little bit of a snack that puts right in front of us the access that we have through the way that Jesus Christ opened for us. The access that we have to the presence of the Lord and the redemption that we have in His body and His blood which were given for us. It gives us week by week an opportunity for us to proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. And we believe that as we take the Lord's Supper, it's not just a cognitive activity. It's not only remembering. The New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 asks a rhetorical question to the church family. And Paul says to the church in Corinth, don't you know? That when you take the cup that we bless, it's a participation in Christ. Don't you know that the bread we break, it's a participation. Or we could 
translated a communion, a relational connection and fellowship with Christ Himself. And Paul asks the rhetorical question as if everybody in the church should be aware of it. When we take the bread and when we take the cup, we are remembering what He did for us and for our salvation 2,000 years ago, but we're participating with Him right now. It's a moment of fellowship with our crucified and risen and living Lord who is here with us today. And, and as we take this spiritual snack along with our brothers and sisters in Christ by faith, week by week, I don't know if you've ever made this connection before, but as we do this together week by week, we are reinforcing the truths of redemption in our souls. We're not just participating in an ancient tradition. We're reinforcing the truths of the gospel and proclaiming to one another again, He died for us. He really did. As we take the Lord's Supper together, we are fellowshipping with Him. We are fellowshipping with Him. We are fellowshipping with Him. He said, apart from me, you can do how much? Nothing. He says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. John 15, verse 5. And then a couple verses later, these things I have spoken to you so that, your, so that my joy may be in you. And so that your joy may be full. We participate week by week in him. The vine and the gardener himself. Who is present with us. To empower us. To live a new kind of life. You see in an age of outrage. We do need wisdom. And direction and guidance for our emotions. Now, wisdom that we need for our emotions will very often look like restrained words and a cooled down spirit. But how do we discover those? This kind of wise lifestyle, this kind of way of wisdom, which looks like restrained words and a cool spirit, it comes about empowered by the Lord himself, the Lord who loved us. And gave himself for us. And is now here with us. That's the wisdom for emotions that I think we need today. In just a moment we are going to take the Lord's Supper together. And I want to invite those who are going to serve the elements to come on up. And I don't know if Andy and Matt are coming up as well for the sake of music. But as we prepare to take this Lord's Supper Just a couple of words of kind of orientation about it. First of all, if you're here with us today and you're not following Jesus as your Savior, I'd love to say a few things to you. First of all, 
you know, kind of the bummer thing to say is that we'd love to invite you to kind of hang out where you are for the next couple minutes while we're taking the Lord's Supper. And the reason we make that suggestion is because taking the Lord's Supper is a sign of ongoing faith in Jesus. And so to take it without faith is to take it in an inauthentic way. We'd like to invite you to kind of hang out where you are if you're not following Jesus. But if that's you and you're not following Jesus, we would love to invite you even right now today to come to Jesus Christ who loved us and who gave himself as a sacrificial offering for our sins, opening wide the way to God the Father and showing us a new way to live, even right now in this broken world as we follow him, learning a new way of living as we anticipate that day when he returns and makes all things new. We'd love to invite you even today to turn to Jesus and to begin following him by faith. And for those of us who do live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us, in just a moment I want to invite you to come and take this spiritual snack. Not just as an ancient ritual that we go through the motions of, but as a real opportunity to proclaim to one another Christ died for our sins. Good news. What else are you worried about now? And to keep on proclaiming that with an awareness that he will come again and make all things new. So at this time, I'd love to invite all who live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us to come and take the bread and the cup in glad-hearted remembrance of our great Redeemer. You may come.